I hate being late for meetings, but I still ended up being five minutes late when I walked into the studio to record this episode of First Principles. My guest Ritesh was already in. We were at Spacepod Studio, a sleek new space overlooking the metro in Bangalore's Indranagar area. Ritesh was asking the studio owner Sumesh a bunch of questions. How big was the space? How many bookings did they get in a day? Were there other studios around in the location? And it's not surprising because my guest was Ritesh Agarwal, the founder and CEO of Oyo Rooms. This even came up in our conversation. While the rest of us saw a wonderful studio, Ritesh saw prime real estate with unfulfilled potential and utilization. He sees the world differently, as most founders often do. For example, Ritesh explains how he sees the hospitality industry, in fact, all of India, as being primarily supply-constrained. The solution, though, does not lie in simply increasing supply, but in utilizing it better, as you would have guessed. And if you go back and look at how Oyo was conceptualized and built by Ritesh, starting from when he was just 19, you'll realize that this is the very foundation of his business model. And as our conversation progressed, his lens of the world came into sharper focus. Ritesh answered all of my questions with very specific models and frameworks that he uses. But he's not content with just leaving it at that. He breaks them down. He gives me examples from his life, the journey of Oyo, and even from books he's read. And it makes sense because the first thing Ritesh told me is that he loves great questions. Across this episode, we talk about why Ritesh loves being called the Chief Clarity Officer. What is Oyo's unbeatable strength? The three ways in which young people can learn from the school of life. And why Ritesh wears his naivety on his chest. The Ken is a journalism organization that takes ethics and disclosures seriously. So I do want you to know that Ritesh, through his investing entity, holds a very minor stake in the Ken's parent organization. But our editorial strategy has always been and will always be independent of our shareholders and investors. That said, I'm really excited for you to dive into this episode. But if you're looking to listen to it in parts, we now have chapters available on Spotify and Apple. Click on any chapter you'd like to jump to. This is First Principles with Ritesh Agarwal. Let's get into it. Ritesh, you started Oyo when you were not yet 18? I was around 19 when I started Oyo, yes. 18 plus and huh. I was close to 19, yes. How old are you now? Uh, I just turned 30. I turned 30 last week. Wow. Uh, in this time, from the time that you started Oyo to what it is today, I mean, it wasn't even called Oyo back when you started it, right? Uh, you've gone through multiple pivots what the organization, the organization's name has changed, what the organization represents has changed, the scale of the organization changed. What is Oyo today? And what was it when it started out? 
So, uh, thank you for having me here, Rohan. Um, I was, of course, uh, looking forward to this chat, but my intrigue increased because I had read a bunch of newsletters, but I used the opportunity because I was coming here to finish up reading some newsletters that I had missed earlier. And it's just fascinating. Every time you read one of them, you feel like it just allows you to think in a different tangent, which sometimes you may be trying to do on a daily basis, or sometimes it may be absolutely new. So I'm looking forward to this chat so that um, I, I've always learned Ditto, that. I mean, likewise, I mean, we've been trying to schedule this for a while. I'm glad that we finally got to meet. Yes, because, you know, look, I think entrepreneurs more often than not, it's said that they may not be the, uh, they may, uh, they may not need to be told the answers. They may just need to be asked the right questions. And probably the answer lays that's with themselves. That's a wonderful thing. I'm going to add it to my repertoire of uh, idioms or sayings because that's fascinating. So uh, you'll see this with yourself as well, right? Like a lot of times you may have an answer about how you would like to make decisions. Only when you're asked the hard questions, you end up thinking, well, this may be the solution to it and may replicate. At least that's what has happened to do me. Do you collect lot. questions? Because do you collect great questions? Because, I mean, just continuing from what you have yeah, said... Yeah, yeah. One I of the things I've observed is that it's not about great answers. It's about great questions that unlock great Those answers. answers. Yes. And I think uh, as, a, uh, as an entrepreneur, you have to be good in answering, but you have to be even better in asking questions, both to yourself and people around you. And I try to collect good questions. So I'll tell you one of the questions that... Uh, I think in this, uh, I will use this in this uh, context of what I was uh, explaining, which is where Oyo started and where it is today. So I started Oyo when I was right out of my high school. So I finished my 12th grade. Uh, I, I always had this thing of trying new things. I was naive enough to think that after a few internships during high school, I was ready to build a company of my own. Uh, I say naive because if I knew how hard it is, I probably wouldn't have done it. But at that point of time, you read TechCrunch, uh, Ken wasn't around then, but if Ken was around, I could say that, you know, by reading Ken, TechCrunch, you feel like it's so easy. You feel like, well, you know, if everybody else is doing it, maybe I can as well. Um, so I I, try, I thought that I should start a company of my own. Same time. Sorry, Yutesh. Um, why do you say today with the benefit of hindsight that you wouldn't do it? You know, I wouldn't do it at that time. Because the first few years were so hard, Rowan. I think you have to, um, the zero to one of really starting a company, a lot of people uh, underappreciate the absolute small problems that come by, especially when you are of the background and knowledge that you have, right? So you're going into the hospitality industry, which is an industry which has long had people who have been professionals for decades in the industry and starting new businesses. Uh, the participants in the industry, which is either the hotel or property owners, uh, would appreciate somebody with uh, knowledge of the industry. And similarly for customers, what they would like uh, could be absolutely new depending on the city or the location or their backgrounds of customers. And even the very basic thing like that of setting up a company, opening a bank account, convincing somebody to take a meeting from you. A lot of these are people take for granted when you're starting a company. But the first two or three years, frankly, you have no time to build a business. You're almost always trying to fix the basics, which I'm sure, uh, you know, to some extent, you may have noticed when you were starting your own business. Isn't it? I mean, just sticking with that point, 
isn't it in some ways easier when you're young, hopeful, with nothing to lose and you can kind of throw yourself at the problem? Because the older you get, the more, I think, dependency, self-consciousness, all you have. Like you said something as simple as getting a meeting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. A young you would be, I got to do okay it. You okay to take rejections. Absolutely. Right? Like, you know, if you were, let's say, 25 or 30, your ego comes in, yes. your education, your status, and then you're like, this person didn't respond to me. I'm not going to like... So in, in no, some I ways... Think to some, I think first off, I have zero regrets. I'm actually very happy that I started when I did. But I'm also thankful that I was not so uh, well-versed with how hard it is. Because at that point of time, if I knew how hard it was, I would have thought that should I pursue something as hard as this now? But in reflection... I feel it was the absolutely right choice of pursuing entrepreneurship back then because age was on my side. I was able to learn. My worldviews were not informed by any baggage I had before me. My worldviews are truly, uh, I'm not trying to plug in first principles oriented. No, not at all. You were an outsider as well. You I was an no... absolute outsider, both to entrepreneurship and to, I'll tell you this. So uh, I used to go to every entrepreneur who'd be listening to me would have gone to a startup weekend, Startup Saturday as used to be called. All of these various startup events, I used to show up as well. And even there, I used to be the Hoping outside. to find a co-founder? Hoping to find a co-founder, a business operator, somebody who would work with me, an engineer, or, or the, at the very least, get free food. Because as you may remember, you don't get charged to go to a Startup Saturday and you get free food. Uh, and I'm very thankful for that. But uh, more often than not, I think even there I used to be an outsider because everybody in there was coming from an engineering background or a business background. So they had something to talk about. I was a high school kid who nobody knew. So I have learned that showing up every day is a very critical part of success, right? I think uh, first month people saw and they said, well, maybe he has this new excitement for entrepreneurship. Maybe it's the first month he's trying it. Second month, people said, well, let's see how many times he shows up. But in the 12th month, people felt that this kid is not going away. He's going to be around. So might as well figure out some way of engaging. And I think the second year, people thought that, well, now he has a business going. Small business, but something. Third year, it became he's had to pivot, but already he's pivoted and got 20 hotels. So something. So I think... Every year, somebody who sees you in the journey, their appreciation for your work grows and your ability to convince people around you also sort of improves. But anyway, switching back to starting the company. So started uh, OYO in 2013, June. The money that helped me start OYO was a TL fellowship. So Peter Thiel is founder of PayPal, early investor in Facebook. Uh, coming to questions... With, uh, collection. One of the questions he asked me, uh, so there's a question, set of questions you have to answer for the fellowship. A couple of questions that I've still, I've sort of kept close to me, a treasure of questions as uh, we were discussing earlier. One is, if you had infinite capital, what would you have done? And the other, what is the one thing that you believe in that nobody else around you believes in? In my view, questions like these are actually not uh, one time in life, right? These are questions that you should be asking yourself probably uh, almost every year. Um, so uh, I think I'm lucky that I became uh, uh, one of the earliest Indian residents to be a TL fellow. It was my first overseas flight, first time I used a passport. Uh, 
I went. By the way, from, what was the answer to that question? What do you believe in that nobody else believes in? I think at that point of time. By the way, I ask this question to myself uh, every time I'm trying to sort of launch a new BU, a new product, or something. That what is the one thing I believe in that others don't believe in? Uh, but at that point of time, I think I'm trying to recollect. But as far as I remember, it was about I want to do something big in the travel and hotel industry. and people believe that having your hands dirty for 10 to 15 years in this industry will help a lot of people have advised me that i should go work in hotels for some time before i uh, get to doing this and i believe that if i worked in hotels i would get biased towards the way of operating that exists today and hence i believe somebody young who's coming from uh, no background will end up creating a much bigger impact at least that's what i remember as the answers but it's a good point i i will go and check out my application there's a very interesting thing they do after they make you a fellow they make you write a letter to a 3 year older self of yourself that 3 years later you will get this letter back and you can open it and you will read for yourself what you thought you will be 3 years later and what you really are and you write a letter effectively to a 3 year older self of yourself um so i have that also so i'll try and open it's a good reminder for that but you know uh, uh, for me i truly resonate with the first line that our contract started with it started with saying we never let university interfere with education uh, uh which is if you go a little bit deeper i think education this is, is the tl foundations is, is uh, the tl uh, right. foundations um, i think uh, it's uh, spoken by a very famous uh, it's written by a very famous author um, how could i miss this I, i'll i'll we'll come i'll, back, I'll come back to it but i think uh, you know i i really resonated with that it was a transformational experience because i think traveling in some way gets you a much broader exposure i learned so much being around people who were thinking big so i used to be at the hacker house where uh, dylan uh, uh, field of uh, figma would come and pitch saying that well i'm trying to build this new online thing because a software an installed software a native software for um, building uh, product designs is too hard and hence figma will solve it i think seeing a lot of that at that point of time uh, allowed me to reflect and say that well everybody around me is thinking big so maybe so should i um, last 10 years today oyo is a leading gro- global uh, hotel brand we serve uh, close to 16000 uh, small to mid sized hotels as their exclusive distributor and their brand and on the other hand we serve around 80000 holiday homes uh, we do this in 35 countries around the world um, and of course we've gone through our highs and lows uh, we've had some uh, exceptional highs when we're growing uh, uh, at a speed like never before uh, it was followed with covid uh, which you know was one of the toughest times for anybody in the travel and hospitality industry let alone somebody uh, or or a company which was growing so rapidly which means that you had forward invested to some extent uh, but i think finally it feels like uh, you know it's time for the green shoots so we've gone through our highs and lows and i feel like uh, you know every day is a new learning so to come back to my original question what is how would you describe what oyo is today you know i would describe oyo as most people who would be listening they would have seen oyo as a consumer brand that is 
we provide a clean, comfortable room at a price point that is affordable and value-oriented uh, to customers, which is to significant extent correct. Uh, but that said, what a lot of people don't appreciate is we are ourselves see of us as beyond a consumer brand, a problem solver for the small hotel owner. Because if you think about an individual small business owner who's running a hotel, 70% of the hotels that join us have had zero online revenue before Oyo came by, which means that they had no footprint. The first time they get any digital footprint is us. We put them on, of course, the Oyo platform, but multiple others. For the first time, they recognize the value of content. Even though in hotels, you're more or less reserving often by using pictures, reviews, and ratings, right? Uh, uh, for them, for the first time, they're able to look at uh, being able to have a ledger, which can tell them what number of rooms are available, what are not available. For the first time, they see dynamic pricing. A lot of our hotel owners have told me that they've had flat pricing for probably 10 years. And for the first time, the 20 rooms that exist, almost every room sold at a different price, um, which is truly the concept of supply and demand that should exist. So in our view, at least in my view, I feel like we, of course, are a consumer brand which likes to provide uh, affordable, clean, comfortable, right priced, ex uh, right location experiences. But bigger than that, I feel like if you're a small hotel or a holiday homeowner, depending on the geography where we are serving, we can be uh, the biggest enabler for you to not only grow your business, but also to be able to sort of operate your property much more efficiently than you would have done it earlier. So if I may understand that correctly, what you're saying is from the outside, people view Oyo largely as a demand-driven company, but from the inside, how the organization is run and how you see it, you're fundamentally a supply-driven company in the sense that your job is to attract and satisfy and retain the hotel owners who provide the rooms on your platform and everything else is in order to serve them. Absolutely well put. And I will go a little bit deeper in this. Uh, I and our management have a fundamental view, uh, uh, which is India is a supply constrained market, not a demand constrained market. If you can get a 1500 rupee clean quality room at a good location, it will sell. You don't need to market it anymore because there is dearth of great quality supply uh, in some form or the other, right? So I think, for example, imagine this studio, right? So if they get the studio, location is of course right. If they get it at the right price point, of course the quality is... Uh, Just for context, we are sitting at Spaceboard Studios in Indranagar, in a absolutely. prime Indranagar And location. Indranagar is beautiful. I just came by from uh, one of our hotel nearby. It's amazing the amount of trees that are in Bangalore. I'm <laughs> always like fascinated with it. But anyway, coming back, if they if, if they get the pricing right, I think this place is going to be sold out all the time because there are not so many good quality studios at the right location at the right price point available. Mm -hmm. And this is true for, for example, airlines. You know, uh, Indigo has never had to market itself a lot, but it's the right price point, uh, at least earlier. Nowadays, it's quite expensive. Um, but well, that's supply demand. They've created enough capacity. As, as many times they create supply, demand follows them. So that's our fundamental thesis that supply drives demand and hence focus on great quality hotels at the right location, right price will create a long term franchise is our, uh, at least my view. Could I expand that to other sectors as well? You talked about dynamic pricing and India being a supply constrained market. 
And we talked about airlines. As you've said, now no two people can buy the same ticket for the same price. But once upon a while, it too used, used to, to be, be where we used to get paper tickets. Like, at least I'm from that generation where you had to tear those, right? I've heard of stories of uh, people sort of uh, carrying vouchers of Jet Airways, Air Sahara. That's right. I've, so. I've been uh, part of that generation as well. So there's hotels, there's airlines, there's of course cabs. Uh, are there any sectors where you feel that dynamic pricing is still waiting to come in and make an impact? Look, I believe that dynamic pricing already exists in some way in a lot of industries, but actually even in the hotel industry it used to exist. I want to, uh, I want mm -hmm. to give an example of that. If you went to Pahadganj on a walk-in, Pahadganj is just for context, right next to the railway station in Delhi. I grew up in Delhi, so okay, I know Pahadganj. So you, like tens of thousands of rooms in one area. If you go in wearing like a t-shirt and shorts, you get a price of 1200. You wear a nice crisp shirt, you have your tie on, your price will be 1500. This is before OYO, of course, which means to some extent it used to exist, but it used to, be, it used to look very unfair, right? Like there was, uh, there was a sense of saying that is it truly supply demand or is it purely on the whims and fantasies of one person? Um, uh, and choices were of course constrained. So in some sense, it used to exist. What new age companies are able to do is sort of build some sense of semblance, put a cap and put a uh, base to it so that it's not like it's out of whack. So there's a sense of fairness both on consumer and merchant side because there is a view of LTV. There's a, uh, a hope for a lifetime value rather than one-time transaction. Other industries where it can exist, I think almost every service industry, this is an opportunity, right? Uh, trains is one big one. Uh, of course, trains, the supplier is uh, not many and hence maybe um, it's hard to... Um, uh, but there too it's happening, right? The news that we're hearing these days, we've spoken about it as well, is that the mix of tickets in a train in the Indian railways is changing and more and more premium seats are being added instead of, um, you know, general compartment seats. Absolutely. And I think that's a trend that you will see across industries that people are wanting to upgrade just a little bit. Like I'm seeing at OYO pre-COVID, uh, we used to have only four or five percent of our inventory, new additions as townhouses. Now it's almost 15 to 18 percent because customers are asking for it. So, you know, uh, we are all eventually in a... Townhouses are your premium offering. Are, are slightly premium brands. So OYO rooms is our classic. You go a little bit up, it's OYO townhouse. So I think... Trains is one, buses are another. So all kinds of transport mediums will be ones. Service, I think in service, you know, cover charges of restaurants, um, you know, evening lounges or clubs, um, you know, uh, health and wellness centers, gymnasiums. I see that, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, subscription-oriented effort that Cult is also putting in. I think they recently launched Cult Flex or something like that. So I think um, in all of these industries, uh, this opportunity uh, exists in a big way. The way I think about it is perishable inventory industries essentially will have the most amount of opportunity to use uh, dynamic pricing. Because if I don't sell a room for a night, it's gone. This, it's of no use next morning. Uh, whereas on the other hand, if it's a mobile phone or it's a, uh, it's something else which is not perishable, you can use and sell it next day, your ability to hold on to the pricing is much better to some extent. Got it. That's, that's useful. Hi, it's me again, Rohan. First Principles is a podcast from the newsroom of The Ken. And I want to take a minute of your time to tell you about a new product that I think you might really like. 
This week, my colleague Akshaya Chandrasekharan kicked off a brand new and super timely newsletter. It's called Day Zero. India's colleges have kicked off what is possibly the most challenging placement season in years. And so, for the next 12 weeks, Akshaya reports and writes a week-by-week account of the stakes, the jobs, the salaries and the students at the center of it all. You'll find the link to the first edition of Day Zero in the show notes of this episode. Day Zero is a premium newsletter for the Ken subscribers. But students and faculty at all colleges can unlock it for free using just their campus email IDs. If you're a student, you don't want to miss this newsletter. And if you're not, I'm sure you know someone who's braving this placement winter. Please share this newsletter with them. Again, the link to read and share is in the show notes. Thank you. Now, back to our episode. You didn't have a co-founder. You're rare in that sense. I mean, of course, the fact that you started very young is rare, but not having a co-founder. How did it shape you and OU as a result, not having a co-founder? I think I've spent, uh, you know, over the last 10 years, I've actually never felt like... uh, I did not have a co-founder because right from the very early days, I had very senior executives who have been there and there has been substantial ownership that they have had in the business as well. So when I was just starting OYO, right, the person who I actually started OYO with, because Oravel is what I was building right before OYO, which was an online marketplace where people could come and book places uh, like a guest house or a villa or something like that. I learned quite early that the demand was not coming because there's a lot of work that the supply needed, whether it was uh, real-time inventory, dynamic pricing, quality improvement, quality checks, things like those. So I pivoted to OYO. Anuj, uh, who's our chief merchant officer, he joined me when I was building Oravel. So it was sort of one of the same question sessions where we were both going at each other saying, what's working, what's not working, when we decided that, well, If we were able to go deep into supply, get exclusive distribution, ensure that the hotel's quality could be upgraded, have dynamic pricing, we can bring a lot of value to an individual hotel. And that's how we started. So to some extent, I never really was a uh, one-man decision making. So there was Anuj. Very quickly, Abhinav came in, who's our CEO and chief product officer. And then, of course, now we have close to 10 leaders. Average tenor of whom is probably seven or eight years. So in a company of 10 years, almost I've had 10 key leaders forever in, in the company's history. How has it shaped me? I think um, having not one, but a broader group of people around me has sort of led to what I call as a mutual accountability. So every um, fortnight, Monday mornings, we have a management committee where the entire leadership gets together and it's been a culture since forever since I can remember from back in the day and everybody stands up and says what they've done what are the challenges they are facing what are the opportunities they have and for me you know that has been the most positively insecure times because these are all exceptionally talented people somebody is very good at legal somebody is very good at HR somebody is good at product somebody is good at engineering And I have absolutely no background. You're the CEO and the generalist. Right. So I work on Sunday evenings 
vehemently to prepare for that morning to see that what is the unique value can I add in that group of people because we all have to earn our stripes every day, right? Um, uh, to be the person who is operating the company. And I have learned that the one unique skill set that I bring um, is my sense of naivety. Uh, I have tried to wear it on my chest as a strength. And I try to spend exceptional amount of time meeting our customers, hotel owners, team members, folks in the industry. I feel like unstructured, agenda-less learning is probably one of my skill sets. I try to get as much knowledge from as many people as I can. And I try to bring it to that room and a lot of artists. I'll give an example of it. So one of our shareholders in Sweden. So I went to see him once. I was in Sweden, so I requested him, could he introduce me to Sebastian at Klarna? Klarna, as you know, is a very popular yeah. uh, buy now, pay later company. Uh, I had no agenda. I mean, there was an agenda that we wanted to uh, partner Klarna, but uh, before our European business, but that was just a small part of it that we could have done with uh, somebody junior in the team. But I genuinely wanted to go learn. I spent probably an hour with Sebastian, thanks to him for doing that. And the amount of time that we spent on UI UX was probably the highest in any founder conversation I had. So I was waiting at the lobby, two designers show up and they're trying to have an AB feedback from me. Even before I have met Sebastian, they do it probably to everyone who's hanging out at their uh, lobby. Then I go to meet Sebastian. And one of the insights was fascinating is he said, my competition beyond anything is the bank statement. The bank statements look old, clunky, you can't figure out what's going on. So our designs uh, are enabled to make them more and more native, new age, easy to work with. So you can uh, basically see uh, the product image. You can see the spend. You can literally click on the product image and make a purchase journey restart all over again. You will see context of what percentage of spends you have on a product like that. And that, so he almost said that I've turned bank statement, which used to be something that is a, you got to do it just because you got to do it, to almost build it into a competency and a business uh, funnel uh, of sorts. And that sort of was a unique learning experience. And it shaped the way how OYO's Design 2.0, our entire design experience was launched three years back. So if you saw the OYO app seven years back and two and a half years back, it will be uh, very different in terms of the user journey is now very, we recommend you the city rather than you to search for it because our learning was consumers don't like to type anymore. They'd love to just click. Reservation experience, of course, it's a known fact that every click in the journey reduces your conversion and consumers don't like that experience. So we are the fastest in the experience of, you know, in a couple of clicks, your reservation happens. It will be hard to find any other platform which will be as quick in terms of making an ordering journey. It may sound very easy. It may sound like just a UI thing to do, but that means you have to be able to preempt how do you manage inventory because you're making it with payment being made after the reservation is being done. How do you make sure that your occupancies are better managed? How do you make sure no shows are managed? A lot of these require dramatic amount of effort. So anyway, long story short, this is just one of the examples. But every time I think about any topic, I ask myself who's the best person in this industry and I try to go learn from them. And I've, for example, you see the OYO boards across the country, right? That's been a big part of our marketing. Learned that from Airtel. So, uh, you know, they used to have their boards on every little store. They didn't own any of the stores. They just put it there. 
the store person was happy that they have a nice looking brand outside of them and the company was happy that they didn't to spend any money on marketing uh, it's a coincidence that our brand is also red in color uh, in terms of context so that was from manoj kohli's uh, meeting so used to be one of the business leaders at it so i try to learn and that sort of is what um, uh, the unique competency i try to bring in that room hmm interesting you say that oyo is a hotel company a tech company and perhaps even a retail company why i mean the hotel part i get the tech part i get why is it a retail company well i would still say more hotel and tech but i think uh, you know uh, we are a consumer brand to significant extent so it's important for us to be uh, front and center in the imagination of our customers and this is a learning that i have also had over the years right so a lot of times i've seen consumers sort of perceive oyo basis for the c on the facade of the hotel the rooms may be dramatically better or worse but the facade sort of uh, signifies what's happening inside it's the equivalent of a book cover it's the equivalent of a book cover right so in in my view a lot of my learnings over the last few years has shaped that um how our brand is perceived is as important as getting the right room for the customers and as getting the easiest mobile experience for customers to book and hotel owners to utilize the experience so you'll see small changes we've made 5 years back every oyo advertisement used to be oyo starting at 999 last few years it's probably that 999 is sort of erased from people's memory so we've made small but our townhouses look sort of identical from the outside with the gray buildings with the red doors it's still early because we are such a large brand that you know making this evolution it's a few years effort it doesn't happen overnight but you're trying to make that effort in order to make sure that uh, when consumers see us uh, they can uh, relate with what they're seeing on our mobile experience and also what they perceive of our uh, in room experience as well is that where the retail bit comes from because you're saying that at the end of the day a consumer will see you as a retail brand and therefore they will want to interact with you in the yes, same way yes our consumer see us as i'll make it slightly more broader and as a consumer brand this is that i am a, a consumer buying a product from a certain brand and i think to the extent um i think of that brand as something that i want to relate with and i want to spend more time with hopefully they will try and use us for experiences beyond uh, just business travel or leisure travel depending on what they're using us already for you're gearing up for an ipo what does the has the atmosphere within the organization changed because of that and if so how that's a interesting question look i think uh, it will be important to just contextualize it with the last few years in terms of recency so in the last few years we've gone from during covid uh, before 2019 which was the year before covid we were rapidly growing we were opening almost a country every month uh, we were showing up on every street and neighborhood in the country and then covid shows up we had to overnight make changes in order to uh, see through covid the in simplest words i can explain it that way so we had to do innovate our business because our customers and our hotel owners choices and interests dramatically changed uh capital uh, availability was in short supply if you're a traveler or hotel industry company so we had to uh, uh, protect as much of our cash as possible we had to make tough decisions to 
you know, uh, say goodbyes to some of our team members, a lot of whom, uh, you know, I would have or our senior leaders would have personally interviewed, recruited. Uh, we had fought shoulder to shoulder, uh, you know, in, in, in the journey over the few years. So it was a tough time. It was a tough time. Outside in, this was a time when a lot of people were writing obituaries about our company as well that will always see through the end of this journey, understandably so, because we're in the travel industry and, uh, you know, nothing in travel was doing particularly well, to be fair. Not just travel, travel, movie industry, airline, any of these. In those two or three years, I think our company truly changed. Our pers uh, our, uh, pers uh, the way we perceive uh, perseverance, you know, changed completely, right? Like, I feel now that we've seen that, no amount of trouble... Uh, you know, will break us unless, uh, you know, uh, uh, we don't put our hard work, right? So to the extent we put our hard work, I feel like our resilience is tested in the uh, toughest of times to some extent. Uh, you know, people's beliefs in the company dramatically improved because they had a choice at that point of time to go to uh, one of the exciting businesses because COVID, there was funding in new age startups coming left, right and center, right? But we were actually having to do pay cuts, so it's, uh, uh, you know, absolutely two dichotomies uh, in, in, at the same time. So the people who chose to stay with us then, I think their genuine belief in what we're building was probably at, at its highest. So contextualize with that. Now the company is at a place where, uh, you know, last year was our first EBITDA positive year not net profit because we still had a fairly large, uh, you know, uh, ESOP cost and an interest cost. We are gearing up to have uh, hopefully a very strong pat year uh, at some point of time. That has sort of made people's conviction in what they're trying to do very strong, but they've also learned from the mistakes of the past. This is, in my view, a great combination. That sort of, in my view, has generally brought people's tempo and momentum quite high. People are excited about the future. They're very thoughtful about decisions. This time, now when we say that we're going to grow quickly, people sort of ask themselves, what if there's a next COVID? What if there is a, you know, uh, some climate change event? At the same time, they ask themselves, is the margin good? Is the customer satisfaction healthy? Is the hotel owner's happiness healthy? Because you may remember 2019, we had some hotel owner issues that had happened. We used COVID also as a time to learn from that and improve on that as well. So in some way, I feel like we've become very good at balancing uh, uh, customer interests, hotel owner interests, um, margin interests and growth interests um, in, in a certain balance. I feel like every company should at some point of time... Uh, go if I may interrupt, I mean, this this sounds like the closest analogy I can think of is people who come back from a near-death experience. <laughs> and when they come back from that, they have a newfound appreciation. And everything that they do after that is reflective of what they've gone through. And, and from what you're saying, it looks like the decisions you're making, I mean, resilience, long-term balancing all the stakeholders, etc., has come in because of that event. And by the way, this is true for virtually all organizations. Absolutely. I mean, even we have gone through very hard times there, but you're absolutely right. It, it, yeah, look, I think uh, I think that's a great way to explain it. I think, uh, and this is not just for me individually. I'm not even saying this for a leadership. I mean for almost every entrepreneur who's been through this journey. I think they've been in the spirit when when the obituaries are written, it doesn't just impact the founder and the management, right? A team member gets told by the relative that I just read this on the news yesterday that the company is going out of business. 
what are you doing there should i introduce you to a company and the team member has to resist that temptation and say that well i have myself received a few job offers but i want to make sure that i give my everything to the company until i see it through the end either successfully or not so once you've gone through it together no i feel like people come like I, i'll tell you this I, i of course i like watching cricket like most indians if you read about the story of the indian cricket team which won the world cup in 83 or the sri lankan cricket team which won the world cup uh, i think in 96 they won or whenever i think uh, you know the sri lankan team's cricket when i've read about that story this often come at times when the team has been written off almost entirely uh, i hate to say this but even the australian team this time they were also not being considered as favorites but just something happens when everybody thinks that Um, you know, the you're not going to be successful. You're the underdog. You can use that as an opportunity for everybody to come together and say that we're going to prove that uh, we can see it through. And you know that gonna... that was my question for you. I mean, this the sense of mission when you hit before you hit COVID. I'm assuming that a lot of the people who were in the organization, the mission was look, we are a hyper growth organization. We are raising so much of venture capital funding. Our valuation is growing year by year, etc. Right? It's a different mission. And now you say COVID's hit, and now you're saying we're the underdog. So not everyone takes well to such a dramatic shifting of goalposts because someone who signed up for the hyper growth journey. may not necessarily appreciate the underdog journey so what did you do or or what was it like within oyo as the shift was taking place and from we are invincible and no one can touch us to now as you say it you're we are the underdog you're the underdog so how how did how Look, was the organization this, handling this i have a true belief which is over communication is a beautiful thing so I think that the one thing that got us across the line during COVID with all our stakeholders is over communication. I'll take you through each one of them, right? Hotel owners, remember we were already having some challenges with hotel owners going into COVID. There were news articles about hotel owners were unhappy about some of the contract changes, some of the fee structures or something like that. And then COVID hits when you anyway are in a place where you're not able to give them enough business as you were able to give before. so we used the covid time period and started running and we still hold it now we did monthly owner town halls where every single owner was invited and the good bad and ugly every discussion of the owner were discussed so it included owners saying like there were sometimes owners who would say that i think you guys are terrible because of x let's say i don't understand the reconciliation statement well because of the specific line item of service fee is not well represented yes i remember there were a lot of controversies where hotel owners would Correct. say i got this statement but which, which yeah. did not make sense or something was wrong and so on so i would explain well these are the three reasons why it's a problem but next month when i come and update i will issue start with an action taken report and with your name i will update on the new uh, version and the next month i'll come and i'd actually start with the demo of the new reconciliation statement it say that this is the new updated service fee which has been itemized at a booking level does this help i think doing this consistently once again going back to showing up every day is a you know a key to long term success i think that made a huge difference for hotel owners to say that well these guys they genuinely want to uh, do right by us similarly with team members i did weekly all hands every single week 
with entire company and again no question unanswered is there going to be new uh, restructuring next week because the wave 2 has come it's a tough question and you know gen- by that time you don't even have the answer what you do is you look at people in the eye and you say that look here's the cash balance we have here's the monthly burn we have here is how the burn will increase with the version 2 i generally don't know whether it will mean restructuring but if it does mean it here is what the benefits will look like you'll be the first to know once we have an answer i think it's tough to tell all of this but if you do this consistently that allows people to sort of uh, almost um, uh, switch gears much more easily because they feel like they are equally making the same decision of becoming from an invincible to an underdog so that's why i feel like over communication is a beautiful thing uh, during these situations when you're shifting goals um, in 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 terms of impact one of the questions i like to ask founders is how they see the world because i think virtually all founders see the world in ways that few other people do like for instance when you stepped into the studio you're already sizing up how big is the studio where it's in indranagar how many bookings can it get in a day so while everybody else is seeing a wonderful studio you're seeing essentially a space with utilization and monetization and dynamic pricing etc how do you see the business of oyo if you had to visualize oyo um like perhaps as india business versus international business or young people versus older people or product lines mature product lines versus um ambitious untested product lines when you look at when you think of oyo and you're trying to visualize it other ways that you visualize it i think uh, again as entrepreneurs you try to visualize your company and other businesses also in different ways right because every uh, form sort of teaches you something or the other so i will try one of the uh, ways of doing it so at the very high level i see that oyo's primary job is to make sure that wherever there's a small hotel or a holiday home how can they get the true benefit of the property that they own how can we come in and help them do it if it's interesting to you i will give you an example of how i did this for the first hotel when i had no resources not much technology uh not many team members that will give you a unit level view of how we started and that then i'll help blow it up to 100000 plus assets so the first hotel we had was in south city area in gurgaon uh hotel owner mr rajesh yadav his occupancy was 20% he used to have a food manufacturing unit in rajasthan so he had just some extra money which he used to buy this property it was a investment property in somewhere right so he was not looking to make a lot of money I was running Oravel, so I knew of a lot of properties. So in that context, is how I uh, Oravel is the precursor to Oyo. It was an individual guest house. No, no, Oravel is yeah, what you were running. The precursor to Oyo was Oravel. Right. The That's first right. two years before Absolutely. you started Oyo. Absolutely, Oravel was a precursor to Oyo, and in that context, is how I reached that hotel. So I told Mr. Yadav that I've been thinking about this new exclusive model. Would you join me in this? He said, "Look, looking at you, I don't feel like uh, you know this is going to be successful." but i am not doing very well anyway my only bookings are like when there's a wedding in the community people use us otherwise is not much so might as well try what can get worse than here the thesis behind the first hotel was that i had looked at uh 
one of the travel platforms. Typically in travel platforms, if you look at the search uh, results, you have sort by popularity, sort by price, and sort by rating, right? Typically. So I asked myself that what will it take for me to be the top five for Mr. Yadav in all three of the searches? So I figured I had to get price right, I have to get quality slash ratings right, and I have to get enough customers to reserve because volumes lead to uh, popularity in some extent. Correct. At least that was the uh, perspective I had. So the hotel was renting at 1500, the hotel was renting at 1500 a night and occupancy was probably 20%. I said, I'll start the prices at 999 a night, which is how, you know, uh, uh, something that we started as a marketing uh, perspective also uh, started. I saw what were the amenities the top five hotels had. So they all had air conditioning, Wi-Fi, clean bedrooms, clean washrooms, television, so on. And I said, I'll have the same amenities in this hotel as well. Most of those things existed in the property anyway. There were some changes, which Mr. Yadav was happy to do. Very nice of him to do it. He said, it's my hotel, doesn't matter. I'll invest uh, in this. It was probably 20, 30,000 that he invested. So 919 was the first room. That time I could not, I did not have the technology for dynamic pricing. So what I used to do was straddle. So every time a room sold, the price would increase by 50 to 100 rupees, right? So with 999, I came as the top of rank of sort by price. You get a few bookings. By that time, hopefully you become popular. So you're getting enough reservations on popularity. And third, the entire hotel staff of the commission I made, I used to make a uh, certain percentage as fee. I used to give away 10% to the hotel staff. And that calculation of that was every time they got a five-star rating, they would get like a 50 rupees or something so that they've delivered a good experience to the customer. So you're incentivizing them Incentivizing basis service, right? So then the hotel came on the top on, sort by rating. By the end of the month, the hotel was at 90% occupancy, right? So going back to the thesis of India is supply starved, is finding a 999 to 1600 room at the right. And this is such a basic thing, right? This doesn't require the technology we have doing this for. Now you take that one hotel and blow it to 130,000 properties between hotels and homes across 35 countries is for which you need deep technology, data science, judgment, um, uh, and, and so on. But this is sort of the context of how I always like uh, now to break down how I think about uh, businesses. I think about businesses in the form of saying, wherever I find supply, which is underutilized, and consumer demand which exists, if the supply just became a little notch better, that sort of segment really excites me. Because it makes me feel like the consumers already exist, so there's a market for this product. There is supply for this product, but just that people don't have the data uh, judgment of what changes this supply could um, uh, experience to get disproportionate amount of demand. So in effect, consumers wanted a 1500 rupee room with five amenities and a certain quality of uh, room and amenities. The hotel existed with 20% occupancy, but with a few amenities lesser, dynamic pricing lesser. I was able to come in the middle upgrade the supply a little bit for customers and just show up to customers and say that, well, I have exactly what you need and hopefully marry the two. 
and now you imagine arbitrage opportunity essentially so you're seeing where exist where there exist arbitrage opportunities around experience and service because yeah, if you improve would, something then you're yeah, able would, to generate more from it i would say value additive arbitrage opportunity opportunities Absolutely. because my sense mm-hmm. is a pure distribution platform is not exciting to me because a pure distribution platform in some ways also an arbitrage right which is saying that well a certain product you could book offline now you can buy online but my sense is in the very long term exclusivity of supply is a very core part to long term value creation and in especially in a market like india going back to the principle of india as a supply starved market and hence being deep in supply um, having on ground i actually read the very interesting uh, amit lakotia uh, newsletter on park plus where he had talked about how he still tries to uh, be on the ground he's by the way somebody who i think is a is is a fascinating leader um i i have known him since his uh, make my trip days and i think he's a deep thinker he, he has a unique way of thinking about businesses and i relate with that perspective of uh, having some form of uh on ground um uh, uh you know presence uh which helps your customer as well as helps your business owners and allows a long term moat uh, to your business as well your career ladder is very different from almost any other founder right for the simple reason that you chose to start something on your own right out of school you skipped college and now when you look back of course you're a much larger organization now you hire from the iits and the iims but today as ritesh what are your views on education it's a tough question i think this it it's it's worth going much deeper into this i think at the headline i think i continue to um, believe in um, you know uh, we, education is everywhere university is one of the ways of achieving it uh, which is a very important way of achieving it but the ways of education that exists outside of university as well so uh, you know two of our uh, senior leaders went to hps uh, a lot of our leaders went to uh, you know uh, great engineering schools some of my leaders went to night school also right uh, in the same leadership group so in my sense i believe that uh, university is a great way of uh getting exposure to a great set of uh, community around you who you believe can uh, inspire you uh, can challenge you can make you a better version of yourself but that's not the only way there are other ways of doing it uh, and i think uh, all ways uh, can be valuable but i do think education uh requires dramatic upgradation in various ways and manners than the way it exists today i truly believe in case and i know that a lot of universities are doing this i truly believe in case study uh form uh, or uh, case study driven form of curriculum uh because i believe that unless and i think that's probably one of the reasons why uh this podcast is you know we were discussing earlier being listened to by so many people who are also trying to learn about businesses because it's it's sort of a case studies uh, uh form of um uh, uh learning in some in some sort i try to read as many case studies as i can because i feel like that's a great way of learning one of my recent favorites is no rules rules uh, uh by reed hastings talk uh, talking about uh, the culture of netflix and i think that um 
it's truly a case study form of uh, learning about culture. Now, you don't have to replicate that exactly. Every company is unique and every company has its own unique decisions. But you get to learn uh, from somebody who's seen uh, their own journey. So that's one. Second, I truly believe in um, letting people uh, try even more multiple fields. I feel like uh, minors as a way of additional learning beyond majoring in a certain subject, I would like to encourage a lot more because I believe uh, for somebody who's an engineer to minor in law, for somebody who's a um, salesperson uh, to minor in psychology, I think could be a fascinating uh, way of um, uh, building uh, a more comprehensive learning experience. Uh, which otherwise does not happen through the traditional educational system. And again, I don't mean to say that uh, some universities are not doing it. I know a lot of them are doing it and some students do it by them, uh, pursue it by themselves. But those are just a couple of things I would uh, like to do more, I, I guess. Yeah, I mean, since you said you want to go deeper, let's go deeper. Um, it's, it's wonderful that you say that in your leadership team, you have folks from HBS, you folks who've gone to Knight College, and you've got folks who haven't gone to college. So I suppose that comes from you as a founder and part of the values that you imbibe as well. Now, you also said that it's important. University is not the only place uh, to learn from. You can learn from the school of life or yeah. by doing or from other places. But to people now, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm connecting back multiple threads, right? You said that India is a supply constrained market. But when it comes to jobs, when it comes to careers, India is not a supply-constrained market. India is a demand-constrained market. We have more peop young people coming out of our colleges um, or out of our schools than there are jobs available. Now, we are also fundamentally as a culture, I mean, we grow up in this with the scarcity mentality is ingrained into us that you got to work hard for that job otherwise, right? So therefore, right from the time when we are children, we are told, pick science, pick engineering. You talked about majors, right? It's like what your major is matters because, you know, even the kids know that my major will get me a job, Correct. right? Everything else is by the wayside. So how do young kids or students or graduates who are kind of deciding what to do reconcile, you know, the reality? I mean, you're lucky. You turned out like, you know, after, of course, a lot of hard work, you turned out all right. I mean, if I may put it that way. But what would what would be your advice for someone else if they're because they're also trying to balance what are the opportunities versus what do I really want to do? And at some point, don't the two need to meet? I think that's a very interesting question. First off, I think I actually do consider myself to some extent lucky, right? Because when I jumped into entrepreneurship, uh, I had uh, an agreement with my mom. The agreement was that consider this like my gap year. A lot of my friends are taking a gap year between 12th grade and uh, undergrad. Consider this my gap year. If the first year doesn't do well, I'll go back to university. In my mind, I was clear that I don't want to go back to university, but I had to convince her and I had to in some way probably convince myself, I think, that I had a backup. But frankly, there was no backup. It was just all in right at that point of time. So if I had not turned out uh, uh, well, I'd probably be doing... Uh, something very different than today. Um, what could a young graduate or a young uh, school student be thinking in case they want to try and learn from the school of life is a fascinating question. 
first of i will acknowledge that it is not easy um in the current ecosystem because uh you have responsibilities coming to you probably in a few years after your 10th grade um and hence you're constantly challenged with this and majority of us grew up with uh, less resources and hence uh, like i remember my mom saying that the only way to go out of raigad i grew up in a town called raigad the only way to go out of here is you study well uh, get an engineering degree okay. get a job at tcs my elder sister had got uh, got a job at tcs so she was an inspiration in the family that's the way you can go out of this town otherwise you will have to be here and you have to run a little shop here yeah a good education has always been considered the most safest ticket to upward mobility for Correct. most indians so that's what my family also wanted me to do and i'm assuming that most people who are in their um, journey of education so, so i mean at this point like i just want to ask you like what made you different like you know when you're 17 18 what was the trigger or what led up to you saying no i'm going to do you know this do you remember look i think for me uh i was constantly that kid who wanted to do something different i'll give you an example right so i just want to go, give you a, 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 a 30 seconds detour i heard the word entrepreneurship for the first time from my eldest sister i and she have a 8 years age difference so uh, i was still in middle school when she was in her undergrad so she was at uh, her undergrad and she came back and said we had an entrepreneurship fest i had no idea what entrepreneurship meant so i went and looked up in the dictionary what an entrepreneur was so i read well entrepreneur is somebody who solves a problem and creates a business on the side so just for the sake of it next time on when i used to be asked in the classroom what do you want to be i'd say i want to be an entrepreneur that's a part of an idea right a simple small idea i mean it takes seed in our minds that's that's how you know small of an idea it was i just wanted to be the different kid in the class who said something new and that sort of led me to sort of say that you know i will keep trying new things so i sold telecom sim cards i sold railway tickets various things like that i think at the end of 12th grade i was seeing this rapid entrepreneurial wave in india and again going to a small thing that changed it there are these thai conferences that happen right yes. so, so there was a thai conference in delhi in 2010 right after my high school i was still in high school i think then finishing high school most people wear the placard who pay there are some people who are speakers who don't wear it they say it's not like uh, not worthy of our effort so i figured that that's the only way i could sneak in and i've told this publicly at a thai conference so i can share this as transparently so i sneaked in because you know it was too expensive for me to pay and go but i saw an ad online so i took a train indore intercity from kota to delhi went to a conference and i saw a fascinating set of entrepreneurs but they were all talking common man language they were not talking jargons they were all talking well this is a problem and here's what i'm solving so i thought i'm not different maybe i should try it too so by the time high school finished i thought i will give it a try myself so it's as small as that but coming back to what can young people do i would say three things first asking questions being curious is the lowest cost way of learning from life more often than not people don't ask enough questions the second thing that i believe is a important one seek communities that you want to be a part of there's so many communities around now nobody's going to come and call you there a lot of times 
you know, uh, initiative taking is in short supply. You have to take that initiative. You have to walk out of your door and say that I will seek a community which I feel I can learn from. And I would say the third one is um, thinking big. I think you mentioned about the scarcity mindset. I grew up in a scarcity mindset too. Uh, I think I was constantly told that um, you know, uh, thinking big is not for us. It's for people who have more resources, right? Uh, but I think the TL Fellowship changed it for me. The first time I saw that people had no business, they wanted to be the biggest in the world. Um, in here, I was being told South City, one biggest guest house business you can't build because you don't have the resources. So it changed it. And my view has become that thinking has no cost, right? You don't have to spend money to think. So might as well think big. Of course, then you have a reality check and then you have to balance your consumer, merchant, margin and growth interests. That's fine. But before that, being able to let your uh, uh, mind be unburdened is, is something that... So these are three things I would say if you're a young person and want to take the full advantage of learning from life. Uh, we also spoke about the scarcity mindset. And, 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 and I'm going to like quickly switch to a personal question. You recently became a dad. Uh, you you became a dad. How long ago was that? So I will become a dad soon. Oh, it's uh, oh sorry, I'm. It's I'm, on the way, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think I'm um, uh, really looking forward to this experience. Uh, so one issue or like a shift that you will see as you become a dad is that you grew up in a scarcity with a mindset, and your child will grow up with an abundance mindset, and that will, I mean, of course, like, you know, this is a conversation for a later date, will present its own set of problems, which is, and as a, I say this as a parent of a 13-year-old, kids who grow up with an abundance mindset then have in that sense, like, you know, that, that ambition and that drive and then it, it attaches completely differently because they are not wired to think of the world as zero-sum and I have to really work hard because otherwise I will not get a job because they kind of have a lot and like, you know, so so it's very different. But before we move on from this point, I must, you know, you said when you started, you told your mom that, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start up and it's going to be a gap year. I think a lot of us have had such conversations with our spouses when we start up and we tell them that, look, I mean, there is a bound on this. I'm going to spend six months, one year. And if it doesn't work out, you know, that's how it starts. But thankfully, that's not how it But ends. you know, I must say that for an entrepreneur professional success, I have seen that a great life partner is almost like a massive boon. To have a supportive partner is, I think, uh, so, I'll, so I and Geet, uh, I married also early this year. Uh, I have known Geet now for 12 years. She was just getting out of, um, uh, she was just out of high school, getting to undergrad. I also just got, had just gotten out of high school. So we met at a time when, again, right, like there was no expectations. But I think over the years, given we've been together, because one near-death journey has been COVID. This is the biggest near-death journey, but it's not the first one, right? When you build a company and you built one, uh, Rowan, you will relate with this, that in the first two years, almost every day is a near-death journey. Because who knows next morning what's gonna what's coming your way, right? So I think once you've gone through that, it also ch not just changes yourself, it changes your families also and it changes them probably more because I think as an entrepreneur, you have a sense of excitement, right? For the dream that you see. But your families may understand that to some extent, 
but beyond that they're just doing it because they truly uh, love you right they want their wife to be successful or their husband to be successful to uh, what whatever extent so i think um, it's it's a fascinating thing and i think it's a uh, it's it's a part of uh, uh, a professional success or failure uh, because failure is just in my view a starting point to long term success um, i think that is less talked about i've read that you know one of the names that you have in your organization is chief clarity officer what does that mean and and why is clarity important and why are you the chief clarity officer you know i have said this so many times but nobody's ever asked me this question so i am so happy that you've done uh, this research and somebody asked me this question so i look i never worked for a full time job oyo is my first full time job to some extent but uh, before oyo i had done some odd jobs when i used to meet professionals right selling sim cards you meet other people various other times even when i was starting i used to meet other professionals for co-founding the company or joining the company and so on early days one of the things i used to always ask is why are you willing to leave your company and most often than not they used to say clarity nahi hai i don't have clarity of what am i supposed to do or where i'm going with my journey in the company whether i have growth how or whether the company itself has clarity about what they're trying to pursue so i've seen this question quite often i'm connecting this also back to your earlier point about over communication therefore yes yes goes back to over communication hmm. hmm. so my perspective became that the company that i built now i will try as much as possible that clarity would not be a problem for the colleagues for the hotel owners for the customers i work with at least for the team members i work with so that's sort of how it started so what does it mean in real life i want to take a moment and explain it it means i'm constantly in the lookout for places where my colleagues across layers might be confused it may be should i sign this hotel or not should i launch this feature or not should i uh, bring us make a certain kind of uh, investment decision or not in each one of these areas a lot of times in companies uh, they are left to chance that somebody else will fix it or worse somebody is waiting for rules to be formulated correct so that in order to do it absolutely because then there will be new roles new organizations new teams being set up and new promotions announced so my perspective is that it, not having clarity breeds immense amount of dissatisfaction because decision making slows down people don't get results new roles get formed because that becomes the like you're saying simplest solution that leads to and i uh, recently brian chesky had a very interesting uh, video on it I, i played it for our colleagues that leads to politics in the organization that leads to people trying to say that my team is bigger or your team is bigger so i have genuinely felt that whenever i have an opportunity and i try to speak to our younger uh, team members as much as my senior team maybe more younger team members uh, so when they are campus recruits i try to work with two campus recruits directly as an addition because i not as a full time they don't report to me but they, i will take two projects and i'd say that i'll work directly with the freshers who are coming by because the amount of learnings that i get across the organization about where there is confusion i feel like i come back and say there is clarity so i call myself chief clarity officer 
and sometimes also chief solution officer. So I ex ex expect people to bring the most complex problems and the most complex confusions to me so I can hopefully solve. And I feel that's the role a founder or uh, and a CEO should uh, pursue. I'm sorry, uh, again, I, because I've read the newsletters recently, this is also one of them, uh, which was from Amrish's uh, Pine Labs uh, yeah. uh, perspective of uh, founder CEO versus a CEO. What are the three or four buckets that consume roughly 80% of your work week? If you were to put it into a pie chart. It's a good segue. Uh, the number one is solving complex problems. So, uh, problems that nobody, uh, everybody else feels like is too hard or well, if I pursue this problem and fail, then I would be leaving a great opportunity on the table. Those are my favorites. I try to spend most of my time trying to solve them. Could I ask you for an example of such a problem? Think about US. Um, it's a market that most people thought that uh, we should shut down because we were having challenges as we were getting into COVID. I was hoping for somebody to come back and give me a, and we had prob probably 150 hotels in the US going into COVID, right? Most people uh, were unwilling to pick it up as a problem because they saw the, uh, for the lack of a better word, uh, uh, that uh, the conclusion is near, right? So I said, all right, I will try and help solve this problem. So I asked for a bunch of data points and I basically worked with, you know, somebody junior in the uh, team. It was, it's a small team. It's still a small team that uh, works on that business. We learned about what the hotel owners like and what the hotel owners don't like. What do customers like? What do customers don't like? So we learned that the hotel owners really liked our revenue growth. They said that, well, when Oyo comes, my revenue goes from a million to million and a half works for me because again, majority of those hotel owners were not online before Oyo came. Oyo brought dynamic pricing, content management, Oyo OS, a lot of other competencies that we've developed with hundreds of engineers over the years. What they did not like is a bunch of places where our features were inflexible. So we said we will make a Dobie list or a laundry list of what are those 15 or 18 issues. I ran for three months, owner town halls for US too, because it was a great way of validating those specific issues uh, that they were talking about and areas that they were strong uh, or they felt good about. Two months later, a new proposition was launched, which was changed from Oyo is one more hotel brand in US to saying that Oyo gives you higher revenue. Here are the 10 hotels in your state where we've already done this. Would you like to enjoy it? And we, before we start, we would start with a uh, sort of projection about what revenue growth could happen. Now, I must not take all credit for it. I was just a small part of it. I think the business leader of US and the teams played probably 90% of the job and I spent 10%. I'll give another example of this. No, so sorry, I'm, I'm gonna cut in because we've got a bunch of other conversations to go through as well. But to go back to that, uh, the pie chart, you said the first one is... Problem solving. Problem solving. Complex problems where, uh, you know, everybody else feels like it's not exciting, you get in. Second is, spending time with our stakeholders. I spend a lot of time with our customers and hotel owners uh, because I feel like that's a unique skill set I have. I started my life signing them. So I know and learn about them uniquely. Um, uh, I would personally have direct engagement with hundreds of our hotel owners uh, even today. And I try to sort of use that as a strength because 
the context that I can bring in the room, which is truly grounds up. Probably somebody who's doing a survey or somebody who's come from a uh, professional uh, experience from a different kind of business will find it hard to get by. And the third is I try to uh, recruit and spend agenda-less time uh, uh, with uh, team members as much as I can. These are my three primary areas, which is spend time with hotel and homeowners, solve problems that emanate out of those conversations, and bring team members who can consistently do it at scale. This is what would be 80%, 20% is everything else. Uh, how, do you, how do you view your own performance in your own head when you're having those conversations with yourself that what is it that as CEO I'm responsible for delivering? How has that definition changed for you over the years? Yeah. You know, and, and what is it that you see today? Because I'm sure it's changed dramatically. Absolutely. Look, I think, uh, first off, I believe that not enough founder CEOs uh, spend time reflecting and judging their own performance. I would believe everybody would say that they do, including myself, but I think there is more that can be done. Before I come to how it has changed, I want to share how I have changed the governance or I've tried to change the governance framework to have a more organized way of doing it. So now, for last three and a half years, OEO is a majority independent board. So we have Troy Alstead, who's the uh, ex-CFO and CEO for Starbucks for over 20 years, Steve Albrecht, uh, uh, Deepa and, uh, uh, Dr. Deepa and various others who bring a very unique context. And we uh, very regularly try to do exec sessions. Exec sessions is basically that part of the board meeting where the entire management leaves and uh, the directors discuss among themselves about the performance of the management, the CEO, and various others, and then play it back to the CEO, of course, in a more summarized format. And, and this, is, this sort of happens very frequently to some extent, right? I think that has been exceptionally valuable uh, as, as a framework. Uh, I add on top of that, which is I annually send a letter to my leaders asking for feedback. Um, people can send it anonymously or with their name. Uh, but, you know, you'll be surprised if you ask for it. Uh, how many people would be willing to give you feedback? I'm sure it can. You try to do it with your leaders. And uh, people love, like sometimes people are wanting to give feedback. Are, they're waiting for that good conversation to happen. Uh, so that's one. How, it, how has it changed? I think it's just become more comprehensive. I think pre-COVID, it was a lot more focused on growth, impact. How do you become the most uh, impactful um, hotel um, uh, 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 you know, brand or platform? Uh, and now it's become... How do you become the most impactful hotel brand or platform which delivers great customer service, uh, which means if a customer's um, having complaints, the CEO is responsible. It's not just the customer service leader who's responsible. Uh, your merchant success, your margin success, and your growth outcomes. So I think it's become more comprehensive um, and, and the sense of accountability is greater, I think. Good. I have a couple of subscriber questions um, for you. And do you do you anticipate any breakthrough shift in hotels or accommodations with respect to technology? The way, for instance, the similar iPhone, the original iPhone was like for technology. Uh, and if yes, how are you planning for it um, at OYO? Look, I genuinely believe that every industry uh, will continue to have its uh, seminal or transformational movement. Uh, you know, in my view, in the ride-hailing industry, 
I think the self-driving cars will uh, be that at some point of time. But that's for a certain use case. For some cities, it will be just uh, better public transport. That will also be a transformation. So in the same way in hotels, I believe that for different cities and different problem statements, there will be different kind of transformations. It will range from uh, the jobs of the people in the hotel will transform, where a lot of jobs today exist uh, to just do the basics, uh, which is I will hand over the key to you, uh, I will bring food to your room. My belief is in the long term, the good old world hospitality will stay. People will still like to get a sense of service, human attention and so on. But a lot of these things which don't uh, have a semblance of thoughtful service could be done by machines. So that's a pretty low-hanging fruit in my mind. Already we've been doing uh, self-check-ins in a lot of our European hotels and we are hoping to expand it in other places. We've started it in locations where the cost of front office is very high and availability of staff is exceptionally low. So we've started it in Europe. We'll eventually take it to other parts of the world, but currently very Europe-focused. Um, second thing I believe is the uh, ability to provide customer service uh, is driven by partly location and partly the experiences within the hotel. I believe that today there are two kinds of hotels that exist. One kind of hotels where there are only bedrooms, maybe breakfast, um, some lunch and dinner which is either ordered nearby or there's a small in-house kitchen, but it's not really proper restaurant. I would identify OYOs as being more those size of hotels. Then there's another segment of hotels which are uh, you know, full service, right? They would have five restaurants, gymnasiums, these I would imagine as a more upmarket hotels or uh, like a Taj or an Oberoi and so on. I think there will be an opportunity at some point of time for hotels to come somewhere in the middle, which will be a great combination of uh, hotels, but uh, accommodation, but along with that, uh, other experiences uh, which could range from lifestyle, restaurants, food and so on. The hotel doesn't necessarily need to run it. Those could be run by standalone uh, people who are very good at it. Um, and those kind of uh, comprehensive experiences done very efficiently, right from linen being uh, uh, picked up uh, right from the room, goes to a truck, somebody cleans it, puts it back in the hotel, much like many other industries have done like warehousing and various others. So I think that's what I believe a dream uh, hotel experience will transform to be. Got it. Another question. There's not much point in trying to think what's going to change in 10 years because there's so many variables that we are not even aware That's of. Right. Like for example, if you look at COVID. But the inverse of that question, is there something that you know is not going to change for the next 10 years so that you can build for it? Is there a secular trend? Is there something that you believe is going to stick around for 10 years? Do you have such a belief? I think... First off, that's exactly how we build our business. Of course, you've heard about the big Amazon story of consumers will always like three or four things. I think we have our own view on that. Our view is that consumers will always like better locations, right quality, right price, and ease of uh, reserving and staying in a certain place. So in our view, humans love to travel, they will continue to love to travel because we are fundamentally social beings. We like to discover new places. That's a secular trend. COVID had a temporary break to it. But the reason why we did not pivot, you'd have heard so many companies in the travel industry pivoted, 
we did not pay what is because we genuinely truly believe in humans demand and interest in travel the second thing that we truly believe in is the three propositions that i mentioned will continue to be interesting for customers for the very long term and better is such a so when we think about our purpose at oyo so we say uh we are oyopreneurs and we believe in bringing positive change we aspire to bring better stays for customers more income for our hotel owners and of course uh better returns for our uh, you know uh, shareholders and capital holders right i think when we think about better as a word it fundamentally means that there is more to be done it's an um, uh, you can never achieve that outcome so due to that our view is that um, 10 years 20 years 30 years from now someday maybe i retire and there is some other professional who's running oyo uh, i think for each one of them this is an unfulfilled purpose uh, that they can keep pursuing for as long thank you for listening to first principles the fortnightly leadership podcast from the ken if you like our work please tell us rate or review first principles wherever you get your podcast from it goes a long way for us also check out our weekly sunday newsletter in which i write about all things leadership and mental models over the past few months a wonderful community has been developing through our newsletters a community that sends in interesting book recommendations personal habits and reflective silent sunday photos If you want to contribute, I've left a link to do so in our show notes. This episode was hosted by me, Rohan Dharmakumar, with the assistance of my wonderful and talented colleagues, Anushka Mukherjee, our producer, and Rajiv C N, our audio engineer.